Blog Talk Radio. Jerry, and welcome to another edition of the Our Big Show and the first show of the 2018 Rutgers football season. I'm excited to kick off another round of uh, podcasts as we uh, delve into another season for the Rutgers Scarlet Knights in the Big Ten and the first game coming up this Saturday. And it's exciting. Uh, Rutgers will be sending out Art Sikowski, a freshman quarterback, out. And I think the fan base is a little bit excited to see, and I would say, or, or, or uh, interested to go out and see uh, what he can do. And there's definitely a lot of positivity around the program around this time. So um, glad to be out and, and getting the opportunity to talk to you guys and put out another season of podcast that hopefully everyone um, will enjoy. And I'm very excited uh, this season because we're going to be uh, also uh, introducing a format where I will have a, a co-host and, and an opportunity to um, share my football, Rutgers football thoughts with uh, um, Rutgers Mo from many people who know him from the Scarlet Boards and, and just a great uh, all-around Rutgers fan and someone that will bring uh, a lot of insight and uh, fun to the show. Uh, I want to welcome him. Uh, are you on the, uh, on the podcast now? Hello, Jerry. How are you doing? Good, good. Uh, thanks again, Alan, for joining us. Uh, you know, I've done this for a couple of years, and, uh, you know, it's it's something that's been a lot of fun. I always uh, like to uh, say I, I try to bring a little bit of a different perspective um, uh, to the, you know, podcast scene, if you want to call it now, that there's quite a few podcasts out there. But just as a Rutgers fan, I think it's great uh, just to have so many different mediums now where you can get your Rutgers information whether it's on a message board, uh, you know, whether you're reading out through uh, the newspaper, but uh, or just you know taking in the information through podcasts, and um, appreciate uh, having the opportunity to have you uh, join us. And why don't you give us a, a little bit of uh, uh, you know summary about uh, yourself and um, uh, you know how you came to be a, a Rutgers fan? Uh, how much time have we got? Um, <laughs> essentially, right now, which is kind of interesting, I, I guess. Uh, just dropping back a little bit, it's like the X's and O's in football. You and I are finding our rhythm, our pace, uh, et cetera, as will hopefully listeners. Um, I've been a Rutgers fan since the mid-60s when I went to Rutgers. Originally started off at Rutgers Newark. All my friends were going to Rutgers New Brunswick. They kept telling me to come to the big school. And after two years, I did, and I had a great time. Loved it. Absolutely loved Rutgers. Um, went to football games, basketball games, saw Lloyd, saw Valvano at our peak when we made the NITs. Um, It was just a a fantastic time. Uh, Came out to California. I've been out here for 50 years, and currently I'm calling you from Oregon. Uh, My fiancé and I live in Oregon, uh, about 34 miles southwest of Portland. But everywhere I go, I represent Rutgers, been to uh, Paris, been to Switzerland, been to Israel, and always wear my Rutgers gear. And um, it's one of the first things that comes out of my mouth. I'm from New Jersey, and I went to Rutgers. And I don't know, maybe 
time and distance make the heart grow fonder, but uh, and that's probably some truth in that, I guess, for me. I don't know about others, but the reality is is that since I've left these many years, I always think and always have looked back at Rutgers, how we're doing, how we could get better, wanted name recognition, and um, that's about it. I, I appreciate the opportunity being on the show. Well, definitely um, one thing about the move to uh, the Big Ten is Rutgers will be uh, you know, for better or worse, putting itself out there uh, to a lot more people each week. And, uh, you know, for those who get out there and have an opportunity to visit different uh, opponent stadiums, you know, you, you know, you you just get a feel for the Big Ten and what it's all about. So, uh, you know, it's another season in the Big Ten. Uh, Rutgers will be entering uh, its third season under head coach uh, uh, Chris Ash, and it's an opportunity uh, to improve and, you know, I think, uh, you know, the schedule this year, um, you know, they have the murderers row at the end of the season. Of course, next week they do go at Ohio State, but there is an opportunity to, to build up some excitement this year with potential winnable games uh, that take place, you know, starting with this week one and, um, you know, obviously not week two, but after that, uh, in a row, a few games that they can build some momentum. So, uh, it's it's a, an opportunity to build some positivity. I like to say one thing about football and Rutgers football or, or, or college football in general, it's, it's really an all-year-round sport. When you follow it, 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 it goes on from the season, then it dives right into recruiting. Uh, then you have what's cool, you know, a little bit of a quiet period, but, uh, you know, camp starting June and July, and it's, it's, it's pretty a nonstop. So following the team, uh, it's it's something that for fans, it, it you know, uh, it will take an, a year-round process. So, uh, you know, excited to get out there and start uh, watching the game starting on Saturday. But before we, um, you know, jump any further, I wanted to, you know, I'm excited that today I have an opportunity to bring on John Newman, who um, actually had on the show uh, a couple of years back. Uh, John also has a, a, a podcast he's been doing of late, really good shows, had some great guests on and uh, just a, you know, great benefactor of, of the, of the program. And the reason that uh, I want to get him on so early is that, you know, as I said, I think Rutgers is in the time right now, you know, bringing in new quarterback, new opportunity, new season, uh, the third season of the Ash era. Uh, there's some positivity. And, and I think John will be able to, you know, discuss a little bit more about um, ways that, that fans can, can get more involved and, and, and help out in terms of uh, uh, the, the, the type of uh, fundraising and opportunities that, that go about to, to build a big and national program. So uh, without further ado, I want to welcome uh, John to the show. Hey, Jerry. Hey, Mo. How you doing? Good. All right. Great. By the way, I have to ask you this question since you and I have, have spoken. You're not related to the Newman who was on the Seinfeld show, right? No, 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 no. That's that's not me, but I get that a lot. <laughs> I thought you would. So, John, I um, I have to tell you, um, you know, I've been listening to your podcast since you started uh, earlier in the year. It's been it's been a great show. Like I said, it the more avenues that Rutgers fans have to you know listen and gain information, um, the better. So, um, it's it's been a joy listening to you know what you and Danny Brazar have been putting together. Um, how's that been, you know, so far in working on your podcast? It's really been great. I mean, Danny and I know each other, um, have known each other for a number of years since he was a student there. You know, we joke about the big age difference that we have, but he, um, one of the, the main reasons why I got to know him was I was involved with uh, our vision at, in doing some fundraising and also some donating there. And Danny was the first play-by-play voice while he was a student of our vision. So got to know him there and, you know, stayed in touch. We're also both former WRSU sports directors, so we have that in common as well. And, you know, I was kicking around the idea of starting a podcast, and I thought there's nobody better um, to work with than Danny because, you know, of his, um, not only in school, but he did a lot of play-by-play for Rutgers. He did women's basketball for a couple of years and, you know, has filled in and on men's basketball and done a lot of different things. And uh, also his family has been involved. His father has been um, both faculty and also uh, a leader in the sciences there for many years. So Danny 
you know, grew up being a Rutgers fan way before he went to school. And, you know, we have obviously that overlap. I have a little bit more my experience. Paul was talking before about um, his experience from the 60s. My started um, in and around that time as well, although my family all went to Rutgers. So I was, you know, um, you know, a kid back in the 60s and started following Rutgers really in the early to mid-70s. And in high school, you know, I was a big fan of the undefeated basketball team and also the undefeated football team. And, you know, in, in that 76 year where both teams – you know, had great seasons and then went to Rutgers, um, you know, gravitated to the student radio station and did play-by-play when I was there. So um, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, our approach has been more of trying to get guests that are have a Rutgers connection. We're going to go a lot deeper into that as we um, you know, as we go along, we wanted to get a good mixture of people in the administration to talk about things that were going on. We wanted to delve back into a little bit of the history, and we've had those type of guests. We've had a lot of, um, you know, uh, great help getting access to some of the current day coaches. Um, so we're going to continue doing that. Uh, and now that the season has started, we're going to try and give ourselves a little bit of time to do more back and forth on topics as well. But, you know, the heart of our podcast is really that 20 to 30 to 35 minute interview and try to find out something about the interviewee that people don't really know and try and have some fun. You know, we want to entertain. Um, If we get critical, you know, uh, and we see the need to get critical, we do. But really more as entertainment and information as opposed to just, you know, uh, you know, getting sort of snarky like some podcasts and, and radio shows do. Um, and we're going to continue to do that. We'll probably go deeper into the history. I'm working on a separate project um, that's a documentary on the 1982 women's basketball team that won the AIAW championship. So I hope to get Coach Grants on at some point. We still have to, we're waiting to see about getting Coach Stringer on. We have that request in. Plus we're going to, you know, Danny is very connected and with folks like Quincy Doobie. So we're going to try and get Quincy on, although he's still playing abroad. So it's really going to be that sort of hodgepodge of current and former, you know, names that people know. And also, people that maybe some folks don't know um, that are behind the scenes in the athletic department that have really good stories to tell as well. So we're having a lot of fun with it. And I think you're right. There's all of a sudden, I mean, you were a trailblazer with this, but there are probably now about a half a dozen podcasts out there all having their own niche. And I think we all like supporting each other. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And you want to, you know, find a little bit more, about X and O's, uh, you know, you, you know, uh, uh, the two, four, seven guys, uh, and John, they have a podcast and, you know, there's obviously I love listening to, you know, former players or you, know, you guys also had, uh, you know, whether you're into soccer or, you know, not just about football too, as well. So right. um, it's, it's, it's a great opportunity to, to get your Rutgers fix, um, out there. And, and that's kind of what it's all about. So, um, it's it's enjoyable time with the podcast. Now, one of the things that I, I you know, when I, I think it was your very first show, um, uh, when you had Jeff Towers on, um, it, was a, it was a great interview. Of, you know, Towers is just a great ambassador for, for Rutgers football. But when I first heard that show, I said, you know, wow, I, I, I got to get John on. I think, um, you know, it's one of the things you guys were talking about was, you know, not everybody had, could cut a $15 million check. Uh, it's, you know, it's going to take everyone. And, you know, they mentioned, I think, a donor base of about 3,500. And, you know, give us a little bit more about, you know, the, the R build, the big build, and, and then how can the regular fan, you know, get in and they want to get involved. And, you know, I bring that up because this is the time of year where, you know, like I said, it, things start to get positive and people start to come out to the games. And uh, it happens very fast. You know, momentum builds up quickly. Uh, and, and I would love to see Rutgers um, take advantage of that. Yeah, you know, I, and I think my perspective goes back, you know, a pretty long way like you guys do too. Historically, you know, the, the Rutgers athletics has been, and this is going way back, really dependent much more 
on state funding historically for things like new buildings and funding and all that kind of stuff. And then that well has pretty much over the last probably 10 years or so, you know, run dry. The last big thing that what that we got from the state um, in a big way was the money to build the quote unquote new Rutgers Stadium. So we as a fan base were not trained like other fan bases were historically to be big givers because the money would come from other places. So now that that has run dry, you know, we are, even though we have a long history as a university and a long history as an athletic department, we're still pretty young as far as a fan base that um, is being asked to donate money at all different levels. You know, um, since Pat has come on, he's been extremely successful in jump-starting that effort. The big build, which that first phase of it is within a couple of million dollars of being done, which is amazing when you think about it, a fan base that was never really um, giving anywhere close to that kind of money. They have raised $100 million. There are now buildings being built, the multipurpose building, which is going to house the basketball teams. It's going to be done within like eight, nine months, sometime next July. There's the new Rodkin Center, that big gift that's going to be, you know, the home of – um, not only lacrosse and soccer, but also, you know, that's going to be where uh, student athletes are going to be able to go for help from an educational standpoint. People don't really realize it because they can't see it yet. It also sort of completes what is almost like an athletic village now or will be because it can be literally right across from, from the stadium and will be sort of a connector between that area and where your sack field is. So you can see the beginnings of an athletic campus almost being built. So I, I think, you know, that phase, uh, and it's been very sexy because building big buildings is done. Um, I think there are still going to be more buildings and, and facilities that are going to need to be built. For example, I know there are plans to totally renovate the football locker rooms, and, you know, there's going to be opportunities for people to donate to that. You know, at some point, and Pat and um, Chris have already talked a little bit about it, there's going to be a need to build some sort of permanent structure to replace the practice bubble. You know, in all of the big build, the focus has been sort of on non-football things, even though football things like Jeff and Amy Towers' um, gift for the Marco Battaglia practice facility happen in that time period. You know, really football hasn't been the focus of that big build. Now I think you'll see football become somewhat of a focus. But at the same time, you know, one of the real non-sexy stuff is there's still a need to raise money for operating funds for the athletic department. Um, you know, there is this misconception out there that the Big Ten money is going to cure all ills. And while it is going to really bridge the gap between where we are and where we need to be, there's always going to be the need to raise money for operations. The more buildings you build, the more money you need to maintain those buildings and staff those buildings. So I think, from what I understand, there's going to be more messaging coming out about all these different things. And, you know, I think we as a fan base, the other thing is a lot of people are involved, but at the end of the day, you're talking 3,500 donors, and there are a half a million living alumni, Rutgers alumni around the world, that is a frighteningly small percentage of people giving to athletics. So, and it's not like you have to give, you know, even though they're great gifts, the $15 million coming from the Rodkins, the money that Jeff and Amy give, and the money the Garudis have given, and on and on and on and on. Um, You know, we don't have that many big donors but everybody has the opportunity to give $10 a month or a little bit more of that, whatever you can afford, um, and start there. Um, and I think you're going to see more messaging around those types of gifts, <coughs> excuse me, and starting people off at that lower level 
Um, our fund, which is the fundraising arm of Rutgers Athletics, has new leadership. Carly Dunlop was hired from Virginia Tech a couple of months ago, but now it's about six months ago. And I think you'll see her start implementing a lot of the same things she did at Tech and at other places in order to get more people into that fundraising funnel. And what I would tell folks is, if, you're, if you haven't given money yet, can you give $10 a month? And if you're already giving $10 a month, can you up that to $15 or $20 a month? And so on and so on, because that's really getting more people in, even at that lower le- on those lower levels, and then over time growing that is really what's going to be you know, the long-term play here, while at the same time, obviously, they're going to look for big gifts from new places, as well as more opportunities for existing donors, big donors to give more. So in terms of the John, messaging, um, oh. go ahead, Plessa. Oh, I'm sorry. I just wanted to add something. Um, the, the people who are contributing $10 or whatever that number is, whether it's a, an annual gift or a monthly gift, some of them are, depending upon, you know, there's a lot of different uh, ways of analyzing the data. And if they're at the, just starting off, they just graduated a couple of years ago, they may not be capable of having discretionary income. But as you get into middle age, or in my case, um, <clears throat> semi-retired, um, for example, just using myself, I've included Rutgers in my will, uh, in a living will. So both football and basketball will be taken care of. And there may be a number of people like me as well. I mean, it's hard to tell who's listening. And they may want to think about that as an option as well. It's not necessarily giving now. It's also making a pledge for the future. And we're all somewhat fanatical, which is the basis for the word fans, and we want to see our school do well. And I think having that opportunity, does not. it shines a light on Rutgers, and whenever that happens, no matter where you are, in the workforce or academia or wherever, whenever Rutgers is mentioned, whether it's research or football or anything in between, it tends to be a positive. And I know as a fan, as someone who's uh, both a graduate and a supporter, it makes me feel good when I hear that Rutgers is mentioned in a positive way. So that's, that's another way we might want to think about, you know, getting some additional dollars in, which is through a living trust or will or, you know, consult with your your attorney or whoever does that kind of stuff, but that, that's just something else I was thinking of. Sure, no question. You know, um, we recently, those of us who are season ticket holders, have gotten our packets over the last couple of weeks, and our fund had a really good piece, educational piece in there, which t- highlights, you know, all the things that have been done, highlights uh, some of the letter winners that, um, you know, are also donors. And then to your point, Paul, gave a lot of different options on ways that people can give, including, you know, like you said, putting Rutgers in your will. So, you know, as you look at, you know, the whole life cycle of giving, you know, you want to try and get those young alumni started at the low level and then try and graduate them up. And then the people who, you know, come in at, at, uh, you know, in midlife point, try and figure out a way what makes sense for them and then how to keep them, you know, engaged and involved over the rest of their lives as well. And that, I think that was my point. I'm, I'm glad um, you know, Paul brought that up. In terms of the messaging, you know, I, I got, we all, those who are season ticket holders, we got the package and I was impressed with the, uh, the package that they included. Uh, but how about also, you know, just, you know, in terms of, email campaigns or just getting that, that message out to there's so many different ways and people are so busy right now, and, but people are so connected into different ways. Um, you know, they're a concerted effort to, to reach out to fans and season ticket holders um, who are not, you know, current donors uh, to get them involved in any way that they can. Yeah, I think, I think you'll see more and more of that. I know, um, there were there has been historically that, and Carly has a lot of experience. I live in Virginia, and I've been exposed to. Uh, my daughter is now uh, a it just started at Tech as a freshman, but uh, my wife's family has some connections there as well. So I've been on their you know in their mailing system and email list and all that kind of stuff, 
and they've been very successful in growing over the course of the last 10 years that fan base similarly to what I'm talking about. And they do it in a lot of different ways. There's snail mail, there's mailers, there's emails, there's online ways. And it, you know, and there've been a whole bunch of campaigns to I know she was involved in a campaign to try and get 25,000 new donors over a short period of time. And, you know, those were donors that were big donors, but also donors that were, you know, not big donors. And it was a matter of, How many new people can we get into the system and get thinking about it and get to donate at any level? Because the more you have, the more then opportunity you have to then grow that pie over time. And that's really when you're talking about, you know, building that sort of fundraising mechanism. Yeah, it's great, and you want to get sort of the, the huge gifts. But it's also how can you create a sustainable system for a long term play? And the best way to do that is to get as many people as you can uh, into the system and then grow it over time. You know, I'm, I'm just listening to what John said, and something just flashed. I was just wondering, if we were to, you know, remember the old expression, if you want to get smart, you hang out with the smart people. If you want to get rich, you hang out with the rich kids. I'm, and when you mention 3500 as the total sum of our or thereabouts, the sum of our uh, donor base out of 500,000. I'm wondering, for example, just what schools would be successful? I mean, you know, just at random. Is it Ohio State, UCLA, Stanford? I mean, whoever it is. And what do we need to do to emulate them? Because basically, to me, what it comes down to is you have to jump into the pool. you got to get wet. And I'm, I hope that makes sense or resonates with you. But what I'm really saying is, Everyone basically who follows Rutgers to some degree, you know, uh, in order to, to in order to actually have ownership of the team, if you will, it's uh, you have to participate. You have to have some skin in the game. You have to help out this generation and the next and the ones that are coming after. You don't have to, but that would be a nice way to do it. And so I'm just asking the question: What schools have been successful? I don't necessarily need to have a, a, an answer to that, but rhetorically, the question then would be is, why are they successful? What are they doing that's making them successful, and how can we do it? You know, if you look at the, the landscape, you know, there are a couple of things. Number one, at least at some period of time, that's had a sustained period of winning, so there's a level of excitement, obviously. So when you look at the Ohio States, the Michigans, like the North Carolinas, um, you know, even um, some schools that you might surprise you, there's that level of winning. The other thing, and I think it's a problem that we have as an institution, is we don't um, build that level of expectation when people are in school. You know, there's, there's no, you know, at a lot of schools, there's like the second you walk into the, into school, there's that expectation that you're going to come to games, you're going to get involved, you're going to, you know, be part of a bigger, you know, greater cause. We don't do that, and that's always bugged me. It's also a customer service issue. We always joke about the are you screw. I think if people had a better experience when they were in school, for the most part, they'd feel better about giving after school. And, you know, in some of the, you know, anecdotal research that we've done, you know, there was a a captain's group that was meant to, that was put together, that was meant to go and find other donors, to find other donors. And a lot of what we found is, you know, a lot of our friends didn't really have good experiences when they went to school. So they were like, why should I give if I didn't have a really good experience where you had tons of parking tickets or if the bus system was bad and all that kind of stuff. So it's amazing what affects people and what stops people from giving. And it's a customer service issue in a lot of cases as well. Using, again, just jumping in here and making a little political, but not meant to be, John McCain just passed away. And I found it really interesting in one of his comments that you hear uh, where he indicates that here I am, and I'm fifth from last in my class, certainly he might have made the the comment, I'm just interpolating, that 
maybe his experience at, at Annapolis wasn't as great as some of the kids who graduated in the top five or whatever. On the other hand, he did this. He did. He did the country and himself proud by the way he acted, and I'm wondering if we can't do the same thing. The argument. I, mean, I, think, the, I, I think there's opportunity there, but I think you know you have to build that sort of expectation, or at least start the education when people are in school, um, because you know we do not have that history. If you look at you know the last 40, 50 years of Rutgers football. There's been one, you know, five-year period that you can say, or ten-year period that was somewhat successful, and um, you know that you know those folks then came to expect that every year, and that sort of has backfired on us a little bit. But even then, we didn't build that expectation that while you're here, have fun, but also when you leave. It's your responsibilities to support. So how can we build a little bit more of that experience, that expectation, the, you know, when, you, when you're here, have fun, but it's your responsibility to help us when you leave. And that comes with, you know, education. That comes with messaging. You know, that's the long-haul play. And I think, you know, I think Pat knows that, and I think that a lot of things from a, fan experience standpoint are not only targeted to the fans like us who are the older folks, but also to the students to get them more involved. So when they leave, there's more of an expectation of, okay, now I'm a young alumnus. I should continue to buy tickets. I should look for any way I can to support, even if I don't have a lot of money and then, you know, get into the system and grow over time. Yeah, I think it's a great point. It's a great point because you, you, if you look back to 2000 and let's say, you know, the, the, the you know, everyone always references 2006, uh, you know, as far as Rutgers uh, goes and, and then the success that they had after that with the 10 out of bowl games out of 11 years, you were starting to get by, let's say 2011 and 12 uh, kids who were going through the program for five years and, experiencing the game day experience and then graduating and coming back as young alumni. And then that became the opportunity to then start to go at them in terms of, of, of building that uh, really ability to get used to, you know, starting to donate and starting to get in there. And then there were fortunately a little bit of a fall off that took place after that. And I think, you know, you mentioned earlier where some of the early uh, successes in the program in terms of expanding the stadium, you know, had a lot of uh, state funding behind it. And now I think what's great about being part of the Big Ten, it, it's those who have the ability to travel and go out. And, uh, you know, I had a chance to go out to Michigan a couple of years ago, and, and I was just floored at, you know, looking at the field hockey building and the tennis building. And, and you realize how much it comes from from donors that are, are just – uh, you know, outside the realm of just football alone. And, and, and it's so much out there that, that makes it so uh, competitive. And, um, and and I think it's, you know, you have to start swan it, but yeah, they're, they're doing a good job of starting to get the message out. Uh, but, you know, to your point, it needs to be a level of excitement around the team in order to get that feeling of, of, of wanting to donate. But, uh, you know, winning, it's, it's a great Win, message. Winning, and, and is, I, winning is the key. It's what you guys said earlier. I think if we can win and create that feeling that we are moving ahead as opposed to falling back, that will do a lot. Becoming, becoming the, next, the next team that is undefeated, we've had how many? In and, going on 149 years, 150 next year. Two, right? It's been two years. Well, Seven, that's why six, I think right I think, now, if you look at the current – you know, opportunity the season brings here, you know, the young quarterback, uh, uh, you know, exciting quarterback, uh, you know, an opportunity no early on in the schedule this year to, to you know, potentially have some games, whether it's against Kansas, whether, uh, you know, they're playing against Maryland, to get some wins early and get some people back into the seats and, and, and get some excitement. And then hopefully then the the message starts to get across early, say, you know, look, it's not, we're not going to win the conference uh, this year, uh, but it's, it's a process. And, and, you know, I think that's the process that, you know, could start to build. So 
Um, you know, John, and I know, I know the focus has been and is always on sort of the big sports, obviously. on It's on football. It's on men's basketball. But, you know, I think we need to – and I'm always – you know, I'm pleasantly surprised in the interest that the fan base is, has on teams like – women's soccer, who is off to a good start. And, you know, there's a lot of interest in that team, and hopefully they'll have, continue to have a good year. The wrestling program, <coughs> um, which is setting records for season tickets, and they announced the full schedule over the last day or so, and, you know, there's a lot of excitement around that. So, you know, there are a lot of schools. I live an hour away from University of Virginia. Football team hasn't been really good lately, Basketball has been a lot better recently, but they built their success on the Olympic sports, on lacrosse, on tennis, on soccer. And, you know, that keeps the fan base engaged and buys time for the eventual success of those big programs. So, you know, not just focusing, although I know there's a ton of focus, obviously, on the top revenue sports. But there are a lot of good stories, uh, you know, that are being told by some of these other student athletes. And I think we need to, you know, take advantage of that, tell those stories, and look for support of those programs as well. So, John, i got to do this before, um, uh, you know, we finish up today. I, we definitely want to get you back on, you know, you know, maybe in a month or now, um, get a little bit of a recap of how, you know, things are going in terms of getting the messaging out and, you know, hopefully there's some good results, um, you know, you know, behind that in terms of on the field. So, uh, you know, the discussion will be a little bit easier, but um, appreciate you coming on. But before you go the one thing I was thinking about when I was listening to um, your list of um, uh, guests so far, and it's been pretty impressive, obviously, you know, you got Coach Pike, uh, um, Coach Ash, and, and um, I, I wonder if, uh you have any, um, I guess, experience or, or, or story to tell you about when you had the opportunity to, to interview everyone's favorite journalist in um, Politi. Uh, how did that go as far as the feedback? Uh, you know, the feedback was good. Um, people, um, especially on the boards, were like, I'm not going to listen to that one or what you do and all that kind of stuff. But I will tell you, Hit that interview, and it's interesting, and you guys know this, you know, podcasts live on forever, right? So you um, every day now, all of our podcasts, and we're about up to episode 13, keep on getting downloads. So he's has gotten as many downloads as just about everybody else has at this point. There are a couple of them that are have done a little bit better, but it's not like nobody listened to that one. You know, I think you have a lot of closet listeners to podcasts for guests like Steve. Nobody will admit it, but they all listen to it anyway. It's like, you know, a train wreck. You don't want to look at it, but everybody, you know, opens up their fingers and looks at it anyway. So, um, you know, uh, Steve, you know, and I have a, have a good relationship and he's a really good columnist, and the reason why people hate him is because he's a really good columnist. I mean, that's sort of his job. So I think, um, you know, the feedback uh, was, oh, my God, I can't believe you guys are having him on. I'm not going to listen to him. Not everybody did that, obviously. But the truth is he's gotten as many downloads as most of the other po- of the episodes. Yeah, definitely a polarizing figure, but – well, John, I appreciate uh, having you on the show. And like I said, um, you know, for those who, uh, you know, haven't been listening to your podcast, um, you know, it's on iTunes, uh, Scar Spotlight. So, you know, get on it and uh, hope to have you on again, uh, you know, uh, as midway through the season and get a, a follow-up on our conversation. Well, thanks a lot. Um, you know, happy to come on anytime, Jerry. Mo, I'm glad that, uh, you know, Jerry has a sidekick now. This is great. It's nice to be a sidekick to something. Uh, we'll be you, you, you and I will be in touch. I just wanted to make a. I want to end it on a non-controversial note. Since sure. winning is everything, let's just go on. A, uh, we'll start off the season. We have a new quarterback. He's a freshman. We're going twelve and zero into the uh, championship uh, Big Ten game. That's it. And, so and they say, and, I, and they say, I'm the optimist, huh? <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, guys. Thanks, thanks a lot. Doug. I appreciate it. Take care. All right. Thanks. So um, good conversation there with John. I appreciate him coming on. And uh, like I said, we'll definitely follow up and get him back um, on the show. So now we're about the midway part of the of, of the podcast. And um, what I want to do is move on to Saturday. We're going to talk a little bit about the opponent. Uh, the Rutgers will be playing Texas State. Uh, the Texas State Bobcats will be coming into Piscataway on Saturday. And I'm excited to have um, Brant Freeman um, to give us a little bit of insight about the Bobcats. Uh, Brent is served as a radio play-by-play for Texas State since 2003. And um, for those who are not familiar with Texas State, uh, as a has a regionally come on to the FBS football season in 2012, but has some uh, fantastic FCS um, experiences at making the national semifinals in 2005. So, uh, Brandon, welcome you on to the show. Hey guys, thanks for thanks for having me on. Yeah, you know, one thing I, um, I, you know, I don't know, you know, it's always great when you come across new opponents uh, and and learn a little bit about their program, and you know, they learn a little bit about us. Uh, you know, I, we always kind of think of ourselves as Rutgers ambassadors, so we teach a little bit about us and learn about you in the same way. Um, you know, I was interested in. Uh, you know, doing some research in, on Texas State, and uh, you know, I, I'm a big uh, follower of the Phil Steele uh, magazines. And one of the things uh, he, you know, mentioned, uh, you know, is the Texas State is, is kind of thought of as a possible sleeping giant. Uh, you know, I believe they have the, the fourth largest enrollment in the state. And that word "sleeping giant" or two words of "sleeping giant" is kind of interesting because that's always been the word around Rutgers with the uh, kind of recruiting base that we have here and, and the, the location, uh, you know, so when you hear that thrown out there for another program kind of tweaked my interest. So, um, you know, love to hear uh, your perspective about uh, uh, Texas state and, you know, where it's come from and, and, you know, where, uh, you know, the hopes are and expectations. I think I would agree, you know, with what Phil Steele mentioned. It's something that's been sent here for a long time, you know, and something that Coach Withers actually alluded to when he got the job. Uh, he actually uh, coached under Mac Brown at Texas back in the late 90s um, as his secondaries coach, and um, he remembers coming through San Marcos, um, you know, while he was recruiting and, and saw Texas State, then known as Southwest Texas State University, and and really thought what a you know what a special place that could be one day, what a special program it could be. For those not familiar with the geography of uh, of Texas, San Marcos, which is uh, where Texas State is located, sits right between Austin and San Antonio, about equal distance between the two, probably about 45 minutes north of San Antonio, and uh, maybe a little bit less than that south of Austin. Um, you know, I mentioned the Southwest Texas State days. Uh, Back in the early 80s, this was a Division II powerhouse. Uh, the Bobcats won back-to-back national championships in 1981 and again in 1982. They made the transition to then known as 1AA football uh, in the mid-80s and played at the Southland Conference for a little more than, than two decades. You were talking about some of the success at that level. It happened towards the end of that FCS run when they, uh, yes, did make the national semifinals in 05, and again made the postseason in 2008. But as, as great as those years were, um, there was always a desire to move up, you know, and, and try to get the sleeping giant going at the highest level of college football, the FBS. And there was a push for it, and it came through um, late 2010. Uh, the announcement was made, uh, I think, in December or November of 2010. The Bobcats were moving up to the FBS, and they were going to be part of the WAC the Western Athletic Conference. It was an historic day for this university. Um, and there was a transition year in 2011 under Dennis Franchione. And then uh, in 2012, they became full members of the FBS and played one year in the WAC. Uh, in fact, they played in the final uh, WAC game ever. They beat New Mexico State um, in that final WAC game, 66-28 to 28, um, in 2012. And they won their first game as an FBS team. And um, in that, that same year, defeating Houston 30-13. Uh, to 13, They were a 35-and-a-half-point underdog, I believe, going into the game. And at the time, it was the largest upset in terms of, in terms of a point spread in FBS history. Um, 
And uh, things kind of took off from there. Uh, they won four games at first FBS year, won six the year after that, and then won seven games in 2014. Um, unfortunately, they never got a bull invite. Those two years they were eligible, and then things kind of uh, got away from them a bit. Um, three wins the year after that and two in each of the past two years. So this fan base is hungry for a winner. Um, as I know the, you know, the fan base is there at Rutgers as well. And uh, this is now year three for Coach Withers. The program is trending up. Uh, a lot of talent on this team and looking forward to what should be an exciting 2018. Now, you mentioned this is uh, Everett Withers' uh, third year. Um, Rutgers is also going into his third year under the, the, their coach. So um, what about, you know, typically it obviously takes time to, to churn uh, you know whether it's it's a roster, but more importantly, getting your your message and how you the kind of at clubhouse culture and atmosphere that you want to build. Um, you know where is uh, Coach Withers in that process? Um, you know you know now in this third season. Well, I think it's coming around. You know, um, of course he he inherited uh, you know uh, the program in 2016, and he got the job kind of late in the process too. You know, he he uh, was hired in, in early mid-January, and they only had a couple of weeks to recruit his first class. And so, uh, it's, it's you know, it's been a filtering out process and trying to get his own recruiting philosophies in place. And, you know, now the team is just about his. There's only, I think, 11 leftovers left from the team that he inherited. Um, and, and, yeah, culture's been a huge thing, you know, in and around th- that program. Uh, you, you walk through – the end zone complex, the team headquarters, and there's a much different feel to it today than there was when he first arrived. And this has been a slow rebuild. You know, the team, again, back-to-back two in seasons, it has not been a quick turnaround, but I think that was by design. They wanted to make sure they planted roots in place in terms of recruiting, really put an emphasis on, you know, building relationships with the Texas high school uh, football coaches. Um, As a lot of people know, the Traditions here are, are great, and a lot of talent that comes, you know, comes through a lot of Power 5 programs comes from Texas. It's a highly recruited place, and it's very competitive. Um, so they had to, you know, put an emphasis on building those relationships and, um, you know, getting the right guys in place to fit what it is they want to do. And Coach Withers has been successful whatever he's been before. You know, he, he helped build, a, you know, a national championship uh, program at James Madison. You know, they, they won the title the year after he left, and, uh, you know, made the postseason again this past year and, you know, did great things as defensive coordinator at Ohio State, uh, Cobb in North Carolina in the NFL. And um, so it's taken some time, but uh, he's got the right guys in place. And, he, I, you know, talking to him early this week at his press conference and yesterday at his weekly coaches show, I haven't seen seen him in a better mood going into his season than I have this week. So this is now uh, the obviously the first meeting between Rutgers and Texas State. Uh, I believe it's the third meeting against a Big Ten team. They played uh, Minnesota in 2002 and Illinois in 2014, uh, losing that game 35 to 42. Um, what has been um, the experience? Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know they are uh, you know going to go in as underdogs this weekend. But what has been some of the experiences and any close calls against um, you know some Power Five opponents in the past? You mentioned those two games and O uh, two. Uh, I wasn't around here yet, but I have heard stories about the game. Uh, I believe Marion Barber was on that Minnesota team, and they played at the Metrodome. You know back then, um, I was there for the Illinois game and. The funny thing about that game is the Bobcats seemed to be in control, you know, near the end of the first half, and then a, a big lightning delay hit, and I think it delayed the game, I want to say, two hours or so, and that kind of flipped the game a little bit and gave Illinois some momentum and a chance to, you know, rework the game plan because I seem to recall the Bobcats being able to move the, the football up and down the field and um, still ended up being a close game there in Champaign. Ultimately, the alumni came came away with it. Uh, I mentioned, you know, the, the, the win over Houston. That's not a P5 opponent, you know, but when you consider the point spread that it was back then, it may as well have been. Um, the In the first FBS year, the Bobcats played Texas Tech at home. Uh, wasn't all that close. Texas Tech kind of ran away in that game a little bit. Um, you know, Navy is in P5, but the Bobcats have played them twice since they moved up to the FBS. Both games were fairly competitive. 
Um, you know, Coach Withers' first year, the team played Arkansas. It was a 42-3 to game. Coach Franchoni's final year, they played Florida State, lost that game by 40-plus points. Um, so really, you know, outside the, of the Illinois game in 2014, some of these contests against the P5s, you know, haven't been that close. Although I, I believe in 2013 they went to Texas Tech uh, when Baker Mayfield was there, by the way, and the Bobcats actually chased him out of the game. Davis Webb came in and ended up uh, finishing the game then for the Red Raiders. That game was fairly competitive, but um, they played some really good, you know, uh, P5 teams. You know, I just went through the list, you know, the Florida States of, of the world and Arkansas out of the SEC and you know, teams like that. And, you're looking forward to getting back out to Big Ten country, you know, and, and seeing Rutgers for the first time in team history. Coach Withers is familiar with the program. He coached, he's coached against them before uh, three times, in fact, when he was at North Carolina. Um, but this is an opportunity a lot, of the, a lot of the fans are excited about on Saturday. Yeah, you know, uh, you, know you mentioned the games against Texas Tech. And um, in terms of the enrollments in schools, I believe uh, it's Texas – uh, Texas A&M and Houston that are, all, are the only schools in Texas that are larger, which is um, what kind of brings me in mind. And, uh, you know, and, and, and Paul, you know this from when the Big East was kind of struggling and looking at programs. Uh, I, I remember thinking, like, you know, when were they going to make the invite out to um, Central Florida, which was kind of another school like this with a large enrollment base and, um, you know, had a good amount of fans ready to go a large stadium and and uh you know took some time uh before they got their seat at the table and now you look at them you know uh you know the top 25 teams so i guess you know that's the kind of program or, or team that you probably are looking at and say hey you know we can be the next like ucf uh you know you know in terms of uh, uh a large school and, and having the type of facilities that 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 this you know have even for a, a sun belt type of program yeah you know i think that that's really the big picture i mean certainly they want to take steps to get there you know the first step would be for the for the program to make a bowl game for the first time and then you know, then go from there and see if you can win the Sunbelt Conference. Um, and now the Sunbelt has a championship game in place for the first time uh, this year. This, this December 1st, though, they'll play the first-ever Sunbelt Championship football game. Um, and then, you know, see how much further you can take it. You know, uh, a, a lot of schools like ours that are in the G5 conferences, you know, look at a Central Florida, you know, look at a Boise State from a number of years ago. Uh, look at a Western Michigan from a couple of years ago, and that's who they want. That's ultimately what they want to be. They want to be, you know, on the big stage, you know, playing New Year's Day in a bowl game, and um, you know, try to be in that conversation. Should there ever be expansion of the playoff to maybe sneak into that thing one of these days? Um, and so, you know, you, you look at the, you know, you mentioned the 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 enrollment number for, approaching 40,000 students now, you know, which is incredible. Uh, really tells you that the brand of Texas State is really um, it's well respected statewide. You know, uh, we're a popular destination for a lot of students, and the student bodies they want winners. You know, and and how great would it be, you know, to to give the student body something like that one of these days? You know, what Central Florida is able to give their fans, Orlando, and the other schools I mentioned before that, and you know, in Kalamazoo and in, and in Boise. Um, so I think one day, uh, Jerry, you know, I could see that. I would love to see it. Um, I don't think it's going to happen overnight. As I said before, steps are going to have to be made. Um, and I think, you know, getting to a bowl game first uh, could help catapult that one day. And, you know, hopefully it won't take too long to get there, but I think one day they can. So in terms of, um, you know, educating us uh, as a fan base, uh, you know, um, give us a little bit, about, you know, the type of offense they run, the type of system that, that uh, uh, Coach Withers will bring and, and uh, you know, things that uh, Rutgers fans could expect uh, on Saturday, you know, that, that the Bobcats will bring out. Well, there is a lot of the unknown, you know, in a season over, obviously. Um, when, when you look at college football, it's the only, you know, level of football that doesn't have a true preseason game. In the NFL, these guys get four of them. In high school, you get a scrimmage or two. And, you know, here you, you might have an inter-squad scrimmage, you know, week before or two weeks prior, but, you know, you haven't uh, lined up against anybody else in about nine months or so, you know, and a lot of the personnel has changed, you know, from one year to the next. 
You know, like Rutgers, the Bobcats are starting a quarterback who's never started a college football game before, and Willie Jones the third, uh, although, you know, he has some college football experience having uh, got got some game time uh, reps, you know, a year ago as a true freshman, uh, opposite of Art Sikowski, who I know is, you know, making his uh, college football debut for Rutgers. But, you know, the style of offense they want to run uh, is up-tempo. It's a spread look, and they want to, you know, uh, get back up to that line of scrimmage as soon as possible. Um, you know, they, they trust Willie to make plays, um, you know, outside the pocket. Uh, they want they want their quarterbacks to be able to do something when everything else breaks down. If the receivers are covered, if your offensive line is missing blocks, you know, whatever the case may be, what can you do then to make a play? And that's what they're asking Willie Jones to do, albeit on a pretty big stage, you know, opening day in the Big Ten. Um, on Saturday, uh, you'll see multiple running backs in the backfield. They don't really have a bell cow guy that's going to carry the ball 20, 25 times a game. They'll cycle in a number of receivers. So you see a lot of different numbers out there offensively um, on Saturday. And, and defensively, they'll run a 3-4. Uh, they do have a new defensive coordinator this year, Chris Woods, who came from Oklahoma. Um, and they want to be an aggressive defense. You know, they, they want to get after the, the quarterback. They have some talent at outside linebacker to maybe get off those edges and create that, you know, that that pass rush and, and hope the secondary can make a play. Uh, the, a year ago, the the defense really struggled in creating turnovers. We were the only team, or Texas State rather, was the only team in the country that did not have an interception, which is such an absurd absurd stat to say, but it's true. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, that's not a recipe for an upset, you know, for the Saturday. So. You know, if they if they want to have a chance to win the game, the offense is going to have to, you know, come up with a few plays. Um, and when I say plays, I mean like, you know, home run style, big plays in the game. Asking a sophomore quarterback who's never started the game before to you know, guide his team 80 yards in 10 plays four or five times, you know, in a game against a Big Ten defense is a lot to ask. So they're going to have to, you know, get that 50-yard pass or 45-yard run or whatever the case may be. And on defense, they have to create field position as well, and they, they will do that by creating turnovers. So, you know, for, as, far, as far as the Bobcats are concerned, hopefully that works out. But I know you guys are hoping for other things this weekend. So, you know, I've, I, you know, looking around, you know, I, I've seen some accolades to, you know, the linebacker like Frankie Griffin. Um, give me, you know, besides obviously the quarterback who's a focal point of any offense, um, you know, one guy that, you know, you, you can say, you know, this guy's going to jump out at you and you guys should, you know, take a look at it, you know, potential guy that may play at the next level, um, you know, fans, you know, you know, want to take a look at this player. You know, it's it's really kind of hard to say because they're just so young, you know, it's hard, uh, hard to really tell to, to make that kind of, um, uh, leap, you know, in projecting a player is going to be, you know, one day you'll see him playing, you know, in the National Football League. If, you know, you look at offense and skill position guys, it's probably who you want to hear about beyond quarterback. You want to, you know, you want to know who the running back is going to be and you know, the receivers. I'll, I'll say this, you know, the, the tight end, maybe, you know, he's not an NFL guy, but he looks the part. Keenan Brown is a transfer from Oklahoma State. He'll be making his Bobcat debut um, on Saturdays. Look really good out at fall camp. Uh, one receiver that uh, really has, has me excited is, is uh, T.J. Bedford. He's a registered freshman, but he got a bit nicked up during fall camp. He'll play on Saturday, but he won't start. Um, I'm really excited about him. Uh, I know offensive line is the most sexy position to talk about, but they do have, you know, a, a stud on the O-line, uh, the left tackle and Aaron Brewer, you know, who one day might play the next level. I mean, he's that good. Um, so, at offense, I look at that. You know, you mentioned defensively Frankie Griffin's name. Uh, Brian London is their star inside linebacker. As a as a redshirt freshman a couple of years ago, was third of the nation in tackles. Um, you know, he, he's kind of, you know, one of those guys like Rutgers has and Deontay Roberts and Trevor Morris, a tackling machine. Um, in the secondary, a guy to look out for is uh, Cordell Rogers. He'll wear number three. On Saturday, uh, played at safety a year ago as a freshman. They moved him to cornerback. Um, now this year, uh, so, so he was somebody Coach Withers spoke about highly at the press conference on Monday. And one of the figures he brought up, and, and again earlier I mentioned the fact this team had zero interceptions a year ago. Well, in fall camp, and I don't know if this is a good thing or bad in terms of the, the play of the offense, but 
Cordell Rogers had eight interceptions during fall camp. Um, so that guy has a you know, playmaking potential, that position. So um, I get a lot of the names I've mentioned, again, are younger players. So it you know, might be presumptuous to say they're stars right now, but one day they could be. Well, Brent, um, I appreciate you coming on. Um, we, uh, it's, you know, been doing this uh, chat roll at the hour mark here, so I appreciate um, you know, giving us a little bit of insight of, of Texas State. Now, um, will you be making the trip out um, to Piscataway on Saturday? Well, so yeah, so we're we're going to be flying in on uh, on Friday. Uh, we'll get in about four o'clock Eastern, you know, and we'll get to the stadium about uh, nine a.m., nine thirty Eastern Saturday morning. So yes, I will be there. And uh, in fact, uh, the night before on Friday, uh, our broadcast team is going to go out to a Yankees game. Uh, they play the Tigers on Friday, and it'll be my second visit to to that area. I actually went to Yankee Stadium in its final year of the old stadium. Looking forward to to the new one. Um, so gonna have fun Friday night. Check checking out the Yankees and Tigers, and then catch some college football, obviously on Saturday. Excellent. That's great because that was actually going to be my question. I was curious to see. Uh you know, what the itinerary was um, coming in on Friday, um, you know, whether you guys were staying local, getting out to the city, but I see you got the Yankees. That, that's an experience. So um, that's awesome. And I hope you guys um, enjoy your trip out to um, Piscataway. And uh, uh, right now, weather's a little shaky. I hope it stays away, the rain. Um, we've been really hot up here. It's kind of like Texas weather these last two days. So uh, uh, hopefully – it's supposed to be a little cooler, but the, the rain will keep away, and uh, you guys enjoy the uh, the visit uh, to Piscataway. Looking forward to it, Jerry. Thank you again so much for having me on. Great. Thanks a lot for coming on. You got it, guys. All right. So um, appreciate um, Brent coming on, giving us a little bit about Texas State. Again, as I said, I started looking you know, into it, and, uh, you know, an interesting program. Uh, a Sun Belt uh, team, uh, but absolutely, uh, you know, something that, you know, Rutgers here in game one is a, is a must-win type of game uh, where they really, you know, need to take care of business and kind of kick off the game. And, uh, you know, Mo, before we sign off, um, I'll let you kind of close out and give me um, some of your thoughts about, uh, um, you know, having the opportunity to uh, talk to our uh, two guests today. Well, I tried not saying anything that was going to provoke <laughs> a negative response. So I basically just listened. And um, in listening to the overview, um, you know, there's things to worry about. There's things to be concerned about. I think the bottom line is we have to take care of business. We we can focus on all kinds of different stars or stars to be that they have or will have, and they're a sleeping giant. And we've been sleeping for I don't know how many decades it is now, as you've pointed out. Bottom line is, we're going in, I think, on Saturday. Whether we're favored or not, we need to win. And I think we need to have that attitude, whether it's Texas State, Ohio State, or any other state. It doesn't really matter. We have to go in with the attitude that we can win and that we will. So um, I think that's where I'm at. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing our uh, revamped offense with McNulty. I'm really pleased about that. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing our new quarterback. I'm looking forward to seeing Melton and some of other receivers getting open, hopefully making big plays. I'm looking forward to seeing our running backs getting some holes and making some yardage. And um, I'm hoping that the score will be reflective of a team that can dominate another team. So go Rutgers. Uh, I want to see a scarlet victory. Yeah, I agree. And I think, uh, you know, it's it's safe to say that uh, the offense has been uh, at times offensive in the last uh, couple of years, and uh, I, you know you, it's it's a freshman quarterback. I, I, you know you just don't want to put too much um, expectations out there. Uh, you know I'm not looking for a 300 yard, uh, five touchdown, you know no interception game, but you know, you're looking for certain throws that we haven't seen. Uh, you know, whether it's, you know, a down the field type of uh, throws, hitting open receivers on stride, uh, you know, things that, that make you say like, okay, you know, this, this kid has it. Um, and, and, you know, again, just a temper, you know, enthusiasm because a freshman is a freshman. There will be mistakes. 
Uh, but, you know, you want to be able to see that upside and then realize that, um, you know, there, there's going to be opportunities for, for Rutgers to uh, run that McNulty offense later, you know, in the season, uh, uh, you know, as he starts to progress, um, you know, when they're playing games that, like I said, they have opportunities early in the season to, to, to quite frankly win. Um, you know, you want to see a little bit of that, and or, or a lot of that, I should say, on Saturday. We have so, to, uh, we have to convert the opportunities, the potential, into reality. I mean, there's just no other way around it. And and I think it was really interesting when when he mentioned or you mentioned that they were a sleeping giant, and he, of course, agreed. And Rutgers has been a, a sleeping giant since when Burns? Um, I when the infamous uh, what's a Rutgers? which is also implied, where's a Rutgers? Um, I didn't want to m- make any of those comments, nor am I, but I'm, I'm really saying I think that we need to actualize and we need to focus, and I'm sure that the, the staff under Chris is focused. I'm sure that they're intense. I'm sure that they're knowing what their jobs are. I feel a lot more comfortable having McNulty here. Those were some good years, that he, or the time that he was here, we were very effective. And the hope is, I think, that we will be effective again. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's a little bit of twofold, right? It's, um, I, I, you know, obviously when, you know, we talk about and reminisce about McNulty, um, you know, you look at that 2007 offense that had, uh, you know, the first time in history a quarterback thrown for 3,000 yards, a running right. back run for 2,000 yards, and two receivers over a thousand, right? Um, you know, obviously that was McNulty part of it, but obviously all four of those guys went on to the NFL. And uh, you know, I, the message I always get to people who you know are down in Rutgers now is is it's it's not that it's uh, you know it's not that Rutgers are not doing well because it's in the Big Ten. It, that's it's it's also. Rutgers are not doing well because the players are not the same that they were. Now they're starting to get there. They're building it up slowly. And I think this probably is one of the more talented teams over the last couple of years. Depth is not there. So injuries can't happen to this team. But, um, you know, once the players get back to that level, then it makes the job of the offensive coordinator so much easier. So, um, you know, we'll start to see if some of these guys, like you mentioned, Melton and Sikowski, you know, are they the levels of Underwood and, and Teal? And uh, and if they are, then it makes his job easier. So I guess that starts on Saturday. We'll see. Well, it was a lot of fun. I'm just looking. It's, the question you're posing is sort of like a chicken and egg. If you can't recruit, if you can't bring in those 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 people with the talent, then the product on the field suffers. And if you if the product on the field suffers, then you can't recruit. So somewhere we have to break that cycle. Somewhere we've got to become the unsleeping giant. We just need to become a giant. That's it. Um, however the heck you the scarlet giants. Whatever we're going to become, we need to be that. We need to stop saying what we want to be and be it. And whether that's Zen or Buddhism or whatever the heck it is, we need to get into that um, that mode. And we have to stop looking at the schedule, which is brutal at times. We have four teams in our division that are just monsters. And I'm kind of looking forward personally to upsetting some of them. I don't know which, I don't know when, but I am looking forward to it, and hopefully this year. So we'll see. I'm not putting any pressure on the team. We're not playing. We're just making predictions, or we're as fans, we're just talking about what the, what the possibilities are. And I'm hoping that we'll be happy and we can watch our team play a bowl game at the end of the year. That would be great. That's the plan. Well, listen, I want to thank you, and I want to thank everybody who uh, is listening, and uh, to our guests, uh, John and Brent. And I look forward to uh, getting another uh, our big show next week. And thanks again, guys. Thank you.